Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside uh, Michael McNamara. Pre-recorded via Zoom today. We are uh, not live on WCAP or WATD because we had some conflicts this weekend. So uh, no live calls. Hey, Justin, the ski trip is not a conflict, but anyway, you know, we're, let's be reasonable here. Okay. It depends on who you, who you ask, right? Well, for your kids, ask, it might be, I guess, right? That's right. Okay. It would be a yeah. conflict for them. We're trying to, skiing is relatively, well, I'd say skiing relatively safe and it's an outdoor activity. There aren't many of them. So we're, uh, we're trying to get them in here. Our kids are going a little bit crazy in the, what is this month? 11 yep. of quarantine. So uh, we're trying to maintain uh, their and our sanity. Anyway, uh, so again, if you have any questions, you can shoot us an email. Questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com is, uh, is the email address there. All right. So we're talking Roth IRA. Um, you know, we, we went over the Roth IRA limits and uh, we're trying to, you know, get uh, instill in folks that you want to pay attention to your, your marginal tax bracket because your marginal tax bracket in the current year and then in retirement is, uh, is going to determine whether or not uh, the Roth IRA is. Is, is the best option for you. Uh, we started briefly to talk about some, you know, some sort of planning options around Roth IRAs, and I want to jump back into that. Um, and you know, it, it was really about, you know, the, the the calculation. Unfortunately, is not is not, you know, it's 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 literally done every year, right? Because every year you you have a potentially a different tax bracket, uh, and so the Roth versus traditional discussion is not uh, is not an easy one. Uh, yeah, but never there mind, are, they change the tax code every four years. That's right. Too. Yeah. That's right. And so, you know, one of the one of the situations that we run into uh, very often is with with sort of pre-retirees and early retirees and planning around Roths and uh, and, you know, and so the, the most common opportunity that we see is someone who does retire before required minimum distributions begin at 72 and potentially before they start social security, right? You know, the, the benefit to holding off on social security, we've, we've discussed regularly, uh, you know, you do get a larger benefit should you wait. And so a lot of folks have decided to try to wait uh, for at least one of their, uh, you know, if, if you're a married couple, at least one spouse uh, is often waiting until age 70 if possible. And so your tax rate based on those situations is, is likely to change, right? If you retire and you're not taking money out of 
have an IRA and you don't have Social Security, you're likely to be in a lower tax bracket. But if you run a projection, you may end up in a higher tax bracket later on in uh, in your retirement. Right. So it's it's common to see a low, you know, 10, 12 percent bracket between 65 and 70. And then when you hit 70 and, and, and especially 72, when required distributions begin, uh, you know, we, we often see folks jumping up into higher brackets at that time. And, and I, I just want to let's do an extreme illustration. Uh, let me grab my brackets here. So if you're a particularly great saver, right, let's just say that uh, you listen to your financial advisor and you have saved a lot of money in, in your traditional IRA over the years, right? Let's say you were relatively high income and you were able to you know, max out your 401k every year. And now you're sitting on a nest egg of $3 million. Okay. When you, and that's just, that's all in 401ks and IRAs. When you turn 72, your $3 million IRA is now going to be subject to distribution, right? I, I actually don't know the exact percentage at 72, but it's around. Uh, it's about three and a half, four, Justin. They usually it's 375. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think, well, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was like 3.6 at 70 and a half, but now that it's 72, I never, I never updated my. Well, knowledge. how about it? We'll call it a hundred. You got to take a hundred. Well, let's, let's use four. Yeah. Let's use All four. Right. All right. Well then, so, then so 120,000. Yeah. $3 million. 401k at age 72 or, or, you know, 72, 73 is going to be a distribution of a, what was the number again? 120 grand, 20 grand. So if you add 120 grand to your tax rate, you are, you know, I'm looking at it and you are very, very likely to jump a bracket, right? So you're <laughs> mighty good chance, maybe two or three. Yep. Okay. So the, you know, the 80, again, that, you know, back to the beginning of the show, taxable income up to $81,050 this year is at 12%. Well, well, if you were before 72, if you were at $80,000, you were in the 12% tax bracket. If you then have to take out $120,000 from your traditional IRA or your traditional 401k, you jump all the way over the 22% bracket and you're into, into the 24, right? You know, the 20, the 22% bracket is only 81 to 72,000. So in that case, that's, I mean, that's an extreme example for, you know, for, for very, uh, you know, for higher income folks. And obviously not everyone yeah. is in that circumstance. Who but, didn't qualify for Roth IRAs while they were making their higher income, by the way. That's right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And probably, yeah, probably don't have a lot, right. You know, the folks that we have who are retiring now who have larger nest eggs, it's, it is mainly in traditional because a Roth IRA, weren't weren't around when they were young and then Roth 401k didn't come in uh, until until after that so um, we sort of see this circumstance relatively frequently where there's a potential for a bracket jump right I mean it's not all you know it's not always one hundred and twenty thousand dollars being added to their taxable income when they hit 72 but it's regularly in the you know the 20 30 40 50 60 70 thousand dollar range and that's certainly enough to jump you a bracket from time to time. Okay. Yeah, and, and by the way, the other piece of this is if your 401k is that big, you might not need all of the money that's coming out of there. You know, your required minimum right. distribution may be 120 and you only need 50 to right. make your life sort of a thing. Yep. Okay. Again, I we folks, we said uh, higher income folks could use these, but yeah, uh, there's, there's only one exception and we're about to get to it right now. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, in those cases that, you know, that's certainly a planning opportunity. So, you know, around retirement, if you look, if you project out into your, uh, you know, if you run your brackets, if you run a projection, and obviously we can do this because we're looking at software, um, but it may say, okay, well, here's your, here's your tax rate projection. It's 12, it's 12, it's 12, it's 12, it's 12, it's 12. And now it's 24. Uh, and in, in looking at that, you can take, you know, you can take the opportunity to say, well, well, maybe I don't want to jump all the way to 24. What if I take some money out before and what if I get some money out of there at 12% and that way I'm going to reduce my required distributions later. Right. So, so you, you, you are, you know, you have the potential to just convert some money. You can do a Roth conversion uh, where you take some money out of a, out of a retirement plan that's traditional and move it over into Roth and pay the taxes. Again, no one likes to pay taxes, but if you're paying 12 now versus 22 later, it's maybe not, 
uh, a bad idea. Uh, additionally, if you're taking, you know, if you need money, if you're living on some, you know, if you're living on a taxable account where, you know, you just have money in the bank or money in a brokerage account and you need uh, 25 grand a year, well, it might make sense to, to take that out of that account, but it also might make sense to grab some from an IRA because if you can take out 15 grand and stay in that 12% tax bracket, you're just reducing the amount that you need to take out later at a potentially higher tax bracket. So, you know, we, we uh, you know, know your marginal tax rate and then make some projections as to what it's going to be in the future. And, you know, from there you have, uh, you know, potential opportunities with regards to, uh, you know, switching over to Roth or, you know, making Roth contributions or, or conversions and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Another real life example of that is the folks who are going to retire, but they've saved enough money where they don't have to take any income from any place and live off their cash for a year or two. You know, I mean, I'm going to not take social security till 66. I'm going to retire at 54 and, you know, I've got $150,000 in the bank and I can live on it for the next two years. Well, in in that case, you have a couple of zero tax bracket years. You could sneak some money out of your IRA or 401k quite legally at a very low tax bracket and then convert it to a Roth. And yep, you just beat the game. You, you made your, you made your 401k smaller, which means the distribution or not as big, I should say. Right. And, and you made the distribution, by the way, the other way to, to deal with that is you can, as in addition, okay, to converting, okay, you can also go forward and fund a Roth IRA. I'm, I'm in that position. I'm still working and make pretty good income and, and I'm, exclusively funding a Roth IRA, even though I'm in a high tax bracket, because I'm not going to need all the money out of the 401k I have, thank God, sort of a thing. And so for the last five, six years, I've been funding a Roth 401k and that's just, it just makes sense. But, you know, everybody's got a different situation, but, but Roth IRAs have their uses, but they're specific and requires a lot of thinking. And, and probably we, we do this annually. We have a dozen or so meetings with yep. clients in that situation with their accountants every year. Well, how much can they take out this year and do this, that, and the other thing? So it's not, it's not something you can do on your own. You need some help with that, folks, is the short story. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, I mean, you, you just need to have an idea of what your tax bracket is. And, and again, you're not always going to get it exactly right. Cause it's hard to predict in advance, but you know, we regularly have meetings where it's like, Oh, well, you know what? Uh, it looks like it's probably a good idea for, uh, for, for, for Johnny and Jane client to take out 10 or 12 grand a year from their IRA, because that'll keep them in the 12% tax bracket. And, uh, and, you know, it would be in their interest to do that because later on it's likely that taxes are going to go up either, either through just pure distributions when they take out more money, uh, or even even potentially, you know, you can you can throw your own opinions on tax reform here and, and tax rate changes. Uh, you know, I wouldn't put necessarily too much. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go crazy and say, well, hey, I'm going to you know, I'm going to convert my whole uh, my whole account to a, a Roth IRA and pay 30 oh, no, no, taxes because no, no. <laughs> I think, you know, I think rates are going to be 50 because the Democrats just got elected. So I, I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know. I guess I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that certain about it, but you know, you can certainly say, Hey, you know what? I think hey, deficits are large. Uh, I think we're going to have higher taxes uh, as we go forward because that's just sort of what's been happening. And, and, uh, and so I'm going to do a little bit, I'm going to favor the Roth now because I think it's likely that rates will be higher in the future. Yeah. The, the, the prudent thing to do is plan the way it is now, but yeah, if you're going to make a guess, you better be right. Sort of a thing. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, we, you know, people who are retired that we have, you know, folks, it depends on your income level. Okay. Yeah. If you're retired, okay. Uh, and living on a couple of social security checks and a pension, you're probably not in a high tax bracket. Well, some people just hear the word, you know, taxes and high taxes later, and they get nervous about, well, my taxes are going to be this or in time. Well, don't overreact. You just need to do the math and understand where you are before you make any decisions. And, uh, that, that's probably the, the most important point we can make here. Know, know where you are so you can make some guesses about where you want to go. Yeah, big, Allie, you're going you're gonna to get right. excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so long-term, so there's, diff- there's a different set of tax rates for uh, what are called qualified dividends and long-term capital gains, right? So long-term capital gains are, are uh, investments that you've held for more than a year. Uh, and the rate is, uh, we'll do the married filing jointly again. So if you are up to $80,000, 
right? So 80,800 is, uh, is actually, it's not the exact same number, but it's a similar number to where you jump into the 22% tax bracket, right? So if you're, if you're in the 15%, sorry, if you're in the 12% tax bracket or below, then you do not have any taxes on long-term capital gains or what are called qualified dividends, which are, which are just dividends on investments that you've held for more, uh, more than 60 days. All right. And this is, however, if you sold a hundred thousand, had a hundred thousand dollar profit on your home, you have to add that to your, to your income tax level, right? That is correct. Right. Yes. So, so yeah, I mean, you you can certainly, you can, you know, the fact that you do sell, uh, investments is added to your taxable income. But if you still sit, you know, so if you're, if you stay under that 80, including the capital gains that you have, just wanted to qualify that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yep. Then, you know, so it's, you know, uh, investing in a taxable account, uh, with regards to, you know, your dividends and your long-term capital gains only can be very, very tax efficient, especially for those in lower brackets. Uh, you can, you know, there's a, there's a, a 0% tax rate below 88, 80,800 for uh, married filing jointly. And for, for singles, that's uh, 40,400. And uh, it jumps then. And, you know, the vast, vast majority of folks are in the 15% capital, you know, for, who, who have investments are, you, you know, normally paying that 15% uh, capital gains rate. So income between, uh, 80,800 and 500,000 for those filing single, uh, I'm sorry for those married filing jointly are, uh, are at 15%. There's a 15% federal capital gains rate. Um, Comments there before I go on to some sort of sure. planning the opportunities more, and stuff. The more you make, the more you pay. Your capital yeah. gains, your capital gains tax can get up to twenty or twenty-four percent, depending on a bunch of uh, what yep. ifs sort of a thing. Yeah. So there's, uh, yeah, over five thousand six hundred, five hundred one thousand six hundred is a, is a, there's a twenty percent capital gains rate. Again, most people are not in that one. Uh, that's married filing jointly, and then uh, you know there's also a net investment income tax, which is essentially you know it's it's basically the Medicare surtax. They they put that on uh, when they did uh, I think it was the ACA uh, slash Obamacare. Uh, so there's an additional three point eight percent rate. Uh, if you are married filing jointly and you're at uh, over $250,000 in modified adjusted gross income. So, um, yeah, there's a, so, I mean, capital gain, the, the capital gains are, are lower than your income tax rates, uh, which I think it presents some opportunities for planning. And, and it just, you know, you have to make the decision of where, you know, you have multiple options with regards to where you save your money, right? Obviously you can do your 401k or, or your Roth IRA and, uh, and that's one set of uh, considerations. And then you have, you know, once you fill up all those buckets, you can essentially, you can save in a taxable account and pay the taxes that are required for that. And, or you could, you know, you, or you could even do a variable annuity and, and, uh, and put the money away and have it grow tax deferred. Um, I'll stop there. Do you have any comments on that? I I have a quiz for you. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So we have a theoretical married couple. Uh, they get their year end tax documents and they open it up and they find out that they have a $50,000 capital gain in their joint investment account. Yep. Okay. And they do a little math. Okay. So, so who do you call first, your accountant or your financial advisor? Uh, well, maybe, that's, that's, maybe you're, so you got no, the tax document. Yeah. You're going to call the accountant first, right? I would say that, well, it depends if it was $50,000, you might call your advisor first and say, Hey, what's going on? If you, right. if you were okay. able to read that tax document and figure yeah, out good. that you had a tax yeah. issue. Yeah. If you <laughs> yeah. call your accountant first, the accountant's going to say, Oh no, are you, did you know about this? This is terrible. And you're going to feel miserable. If you call yeah. your financial advisor, they're going to say, congratulations. Even if you have 50,000, you got to keep 30, 47,000, uh, 43,000 after taxes and we hope it's bigger next year. I, it was a ser- seriously, I'm very serious yeah. about that, folks. Okay. If you have a $50,000 capital gain, 
and, and you've done whatever you can legally to, to, to reduce it and you can't, congratulations, move on sort of a thing. Okay. But, but again, and, and we, we love accountants, but we, you know, investment people who are trying to make you money come from a yeah. slightly different perspective than accountants who are trying to save you taxes. And you just got to kind of balance that off. We had a, a, one of our very most interesting clients call us two or three years ago with like almost a half a million dollar capital gain. That was obviously a large account and yeah. they were having an absolute carny. And I just said, congratulations and didn't say anything <laughs> for about 30 seconds <laughs> and then had to explain. Explain. I mean, yeah. how many how many people out there listening to us would complain about having a five hundred thousand dollar capital gain, uh, even if they had to pay what? So 20, 20 up to twenty five percent of that, maybe one hundred twenty five thousand dollars in taxes on five hundred thousand. Twenty three point eight. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so it's about a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how many people would complain? About a five hundred thousand dollar capital gain if you got to keep three hundred and seventy five thousand. Okay, you I'd know? say a lot, a lot will just because. Hey, eh, well, okay, get over it. Was that what I would say? <laughs> or deal with it. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. The financial advisors are in the business of producing capital gains and income, folks. You know. So when you get, you know, and I was gonna, we were gonna sort of touch on this when you get to the uh, the tax documents. Like, where we actually, we're yeah, we're not up on a break yet. We have about what six more minutes. Four minutes and fifty four seconds. Uh oh. Uh, so yeah, when when you're considering where to invest, you know, the, this the capital gain piece has some um, has some implications on how you might invest money. You know, one one of them is. Uh, for clients who are maybe saving for college, right? You know, on occasion we'll have the discussion. Uh, well, hey, we're saving for college, and we have our five twenty nine plans. But you know, how much should we really save in those five twenty nine plans? Because what happens if our kid doesn't go to college, right? What happens if they go into the trades or or they do something else and that doesn't require, you know, that four year private school education uh, that's so expensive? And you know, so we would then point to well, the alternative to the five twenty nine is well, you can certainly save money. And you can certainly be more flexible if you just open up a taxable account in, in both of your names. And you know, here's the downside to it, right? You you can pay uh, you know up to fifteen percent. You know, m most of the income that comes out is taxed uh, at long-term capital gains rates or or at you know qualified dividend rates. And so you're talking about a fifteen percent tax for again for most taxpayers as the potential penalty for saving inside. Uh, you know, outside of a 529 plan, if it, if it turns out that your kid does go to college, right? I mean, if you want to have some flexibility and, you know, built in there and not put the money in the 529, well, you may end up paying, you know, sort of 15% on, on all the income that you made. Yeah. You know, another, uh, just another perspective thing for folks in taxes, when, when you're thinking about taxes, it's usually better to think percentages than dollars. If you know yep. what I mean. Anyway, oh my God, I got a $3,000 tax bill I have to pay because I underreported. Well, you know, is that $3,000 tax bill like 2% of all of your assets or is it 25% of all of your assets? So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a little less scary if you look at percentages and probably more accurate in terms of where you are in the world. So, but nobody does. Everybody just focuses on the dollars and doesn't think about the percentages, you know? Yep. I hear you. Uh, okay. So we, yeah, should we jump? Uh, let's see. Oh, two minutes, yeah. and, two minutes yeah. and 37 seconds here. Let, let me just, you know, but let me just follow up on, on the conversation you had about capital gains. Right. So, you know, when you get your 1099, uh, you know, miscellaneous from your brokerage account, if you have one, uh, that's where you're going to find your capital gains for the year. There's, there's a few different types of capital gains and, you know, some of them can be surprises. And so I did just briefly want to, you know, you know, suggest to folks that they look at what you have invested in your brokerage account, right? When you, when you have a surprise capital gain, it's normally because you, maybe you own a mutual fund. And I think, you know, the example that you were talking about uh, from our, from our client, the, uh, you know, a few years back was, um, you know, they have a substantial pot of money. We started investing that in a world before exchange traded funds or ETFs were, were popular. And so, you know, if you own a mutual fund that's actively managed, you can get, you know, what kind of surprise capital gains, right? You can get a, oh, well, hey, uh, you know, your, your mutual fund that you own, you know, sold a bunch of stocks this year. Uh, it's been a great market. They, you know, they made money on those stocks and then they're passing those capital gains on to you. So that, that's, 
that's a consideration that you, you know, when you're investing new money is, well, if you're going to go with a, you know, an actively managed fund, you need to be prepared for the, you know, the eventual tax surprise, right? I mean, if you're, if your fund does well, uh, and ideally it does, and it sells some stocks that, it, or, or whatever it, purchase that appreciated well there's cap you know there's there's taxes to be paid and they you know they send those along to their shareholders and so you can get kind of an un you know you can get an uneven well you know you go I, hey i went three years and i didn't have any capital gains spit out of my portfolio and all of a sudden this year it's fifty thousand dollars and i gotta you know i gotta pay 10 grand in taxes um and i'm not too happy about that um so when you are putting money away, you want to pay attention to kind of the tax nature of what you're uh, of what you're investing in. For the, you know, for now, for us, we we certainly put more taxable money into exchange traded funds uh, or ETFs because they have a, a tax advantage over their uh, over their mutual fund counterparts. And uh, so there's there's certainly less surprises. We, we've we've yet to have an, an ETF tax surprise with capital gains um, in all the years because you know ETFs just happen to be very tax efficient. So, so tax efficiency is something that you can strive for right. in your assets that aren't in official retirement plans or annuities, folks. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, you know, because of, because ETFs are relatively new, you have, you know, you have a, oh, there's the duck. There's the duck. <laughs> 30 seconds. Can I finish it? Yep. Yeah, you, so you, you get to make the choice now with new money, but with old money, you know, if you have, you know, if you put money in the Fidelity Contra Fund 25 years ago, you can certainly go buy an ETF now, but uh, it may cost you a bunch of money in taxes to get there because you got to sell your fund and, and move the money over. So it's it's kind of a complicated, um, it's complicated math as to whether or not it's uh, good to make the switch, but we are out of time. So we will be right back. We are back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside virtually Michael McNamara from sunny Florida. Is it sunny there today? Uh, 81, 82, a little windy, can't go fishing, but can't complain, you know? Eh? Well, that works out for me. Yeah. Uh, we are pre-recording the show. Just an FYI to all those of you listening on WCAP and WATD. We are not live. So if you have any questions, uh, you can shoot us an email. Questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com. I am you know, semi-relieved that we're not live because we are covering taxes. And uh, again, full disclosure, we are not tax preparers. We, are not, uh, we don't consider ourselves tax experts, but uh, we're talking mostly about tax strategy and uh, you know, running through all of your... Uh, uh, all, all the tax, you know, all the annual tax stuff for the year. And as we go through each one, we're going to, uh, we're going to continue to jump off and talk about some, uh, some strategy points with regards. We, to we, we do know taxes as it relates to investments. That's right. So that's part of our certified financial planner training. That's regimen, right. That's right. So not, we're not dumb folks, but we know enough to, to help with investments and we get in trouble. We call our CPAs too. No worries. Absolutely. Yeah. I do find that, you know, uh, I, I think that there are some CPAs not, you know, this isn't, a blanket statement a bit, but there are some CPAs who, uh, who pay less attention to investment stuff, I think maybe than, than, than we do. And I'm sort of surprised by that, but Hey, every, you know, the, the tax code is big and broad and it's not just investment. So I think, yeah, we are we're, I guess we're relative experts in the investment side of taxes here. That's what it says on the CFP degree there, just, you know, <laughs> <That's hey. laughs> okay. Um, so we have been through a bunch here. I think I'm going to run through, uh, some tax document stuff here. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, it is the time of year when you're in, when you start getting your tax documents, uh, most of which you've probably already received, but uh, but potentially not all. So let's run through those, and uh, as we go, uh, we can uh, kind of jump off. Um, so the first thing, you know, uh, the W two uh, is. I don't think I'll spend a whole lot of time on it. You know, if you're an employee, uh, you get a W two. From an investment point of view, you know, this is where you want to look and make sure that your retirement contribution. Uh, are being sort of recorded correctly, and I have, you know, I, I I went in and I looked through the you know the tax info on all these on all these different tax documents, and there's a there's a lot on here. But um, anyway, so you're going to find your retirement plan contributions in box twelve of uh of your w-2 and uh you know there's a, a few different number right box 12 is is kind of a catch-all box and they put a lot of different stuff in there uh and so you'll see multiple codes under uh box 12 i'll just give a you know a few you know uh, d is elective deferrals 
to a 401k. That's your the decode. E code is is a 403b, uh, and then you have uh, you know Roth contributions. If you're doing a Roth 401k, it's AA, and if you're doing uh, a Roth 403b, which aren't I don't think are particularly common, but um, that's BB. So you know it, it, you know on your W two, if you're working for an employer, that's where you want to look to make sure that you are contributing to your uh, to your 401k and that it is being uh, reported correctly. Okay. Uh, let's see what else. Man, I have so many, I got a lot of documents open here. Well, before, before you leave that W-2, just a sidebar. Um, yeah. I, I think most tax people would tell you to keep your tax documents five, six, seven years for a variety of purposes. And yeah. I'm fine with that. But uh, I, I think uh, everybody should keep every W-2 they ever got for all of their life in a file. And the only reason I'd say, by the way, I have that in several files. Uh, the only reason I say that is if you ever need to argue with social security about your earnings, okay, having your year end, <laughs> having your year end W-2s for the 35 years that they asked you about in social security would be helpful. So I would hang on to all of your year end W-2s forever. There okay. you go. No extra, no extra uh, charge for that, Jess. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. So the next, uh, you know, the next tax doc you might get here um, from employment uh, is the 1099 MISC 1099 miscellaneous. Uh, so you know that's for folks who are self-employed working for themselves. You know, if you do get one of these, uh, then you're not going to be eligible for a retirement plan from whatever that. Uh, compensation came from, and you know these are the folks who are you know looking potentially at. Uh, you know, kind of self-employed retirement plan options, right? So IRAs, uh, SEP IRAs, maybe even a, maybe even a simple IRA. Um, so if you are if you're a 1099 employee, um, you know, then you just want to pay attention to your retirement plan options. It's, you know, you probably don't have that. You know, you don't have a 401k where they give you your list and your menu of of choices. Uh, you're on your own, and you can contact a financial advisor or uh, or any of the you know the do-it-yourself investment houses. They can help you with a retirement plan option there. All right, um, I am going to spend a little bit of time. You know, now now let me just jump to the investment piece uh, of uh, of your tax documents because we you know we get involved in this a fair bit. Um, so I'm just going to run through them all just to make sure you have everything that you're looking for, and we'll stop off along the way to discuss each one. All right. So uh, the first one is um, is your ten. You know, you get various 1099s from your uh, retirement accounts. The first one is it's it's the easiest uh, is 1099R, and it's generally the one you get probably the quickest. Uh, 1099R reports any distribution that you get from a retirement plan, right? So if you are retired and or if you just take money out of a retirement plan, uh, you will uh, get what's called a 1099R, and um, that just you know that's that's going to be reported on your tax return. And generally, if, you, if, if it's money that comes out of a, of a traditional account will be taxable uh, in that year. All right. Um, I did want to, let's see, there's a few notes I wanted to make. Um, for those of you who are retired this year for 2020, um, uh, or were retired in 2020 and, and were forced to take a required minimum distribution, uh, it was forgiven in 2020. And therefore, if you didn't take it, uh, you will not be getting a 1099R, right? So, you know, a lot of folks are just, you know, will we'll go to year to year and say, you know, they, they kind of they kind of judge their this year's tax documents by, by, by what they got last year, right? So if, if you were 73 in, in, 20, uh, in 2019, you were forced to take money out of a retirement plan, you got a 1099R. If you, if you, if you, for, is it, is it forego? What's the, what's the past tense of forego? Is it forewent? Foregone. Forgotten. <laughs> no. no, I don't know. <laughs> Ask your mother, but she's not here. Yeah, that's okay. right. So if you chose to skip your 2020 uh, required minimum distribution, uh, you will not get a 1099R this year. So that, you know, you're not waiting for one if you didn't take any money out. Okay. Yeah, and by the way, before we leave that subject, anybody who chose to skip their ten, their distribution last year, congratulations. I guess you didn't need the money. That's right. There you go. Okay. Or, or probably had other money you could replace it with. So again, congratulations. All right. Um, one of the things that I did, you know, because we run into it a fair amount, uh, you will get a 1099R if you do a rollover, right? So if you have a 401k and then you, uh, and then you roll the money over, 
to an IRA, then you will get a 1099R. Now that doesn't mean, right, and especially if it's a large tax document, right? If you roll over a $250,000 401k and you stick it in an IRA, you still will get a, a 1099R. Uh, but what you do want to look at is, is you, know, you, you just want to make sure that the taxable amount is coded as zero, right? They, 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 the, uh, the IRS makes, um, makes 401k companies and custodians send that 1099R when they, you know, when there is a transfer like that, uh, you just want to make darn sure that it reads a taxable amount of zero, um, because you don't want a $250,000 distribution being accidentally added, uh, to your, um, to your income for the year, right? So hopefully when you did the paperwork, you filled it out correctly, but uh, that's just something to be, you know, to be aware of that you wanna make sure that your, any rollovers are not accidentally taxed, all right? And you have to be careful about how you do those anyway, folks. So make sure you're working with somebody who knows the deal. That's right. Yeah, you, you just, I mean, you know, the big ones are generally caught, right? If, if something is reported as $250,000 and it's, it's taxed, you will, you will most certainly catch that on, uh, on whatever, uh, you know, your CPA will catch it, right? Or, or, or you'll catch it yourself as you do your own taxes, because that's going to be a huge difference in taxes year to year. Um, but just, you know, you, you want to make sure of it because occasionally, you know, if you do a small rollover, if you worked at a place for, you know, for six months or a year and you rolled over five grand, you just want to make sure that it's, it's, not reported as taxable uh, because that you may not even notice and you may end up paying taxes uh, that you did not need to pay. All right. Let's see uh, what else I have here. Okay, so uh, that's the 1099R. The other, the other one that you're, you know, that that if you have an investment account, uh, you may get is called a 1099. Well, there's there's a uh, a consolidated forms 1099, which which our clients get from TD Ameritrade, and they really include a bunch of different uh, 1099s. Uh, so like there's there's your 1099. Uh, Interest, your 1099 INT is going to be the one that you uh, that reports your interest for the year. So you'll get these from your bank account. Um, There's going to be your, let's see what else. Uh, oh, you know what? I, I wrote all these down and, and now I can't. DIV, 1099 DIV. One 1099 of DIV. What's the one with capital gains? Do you remember that one? Uh, I should do a quiz. That's, if no. This was, if this no, was you I with forget. your experience, you would, okay. you would have yeah. stalled by making it a quiz. <laughs> Uh, 1099 DIV reports your dividends and what's the capital gains. And there's one, there's one more that reports your capital gains. Of course, there's, there's this 99 growth. No, probably not. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably have one here that I'm just, that, that it's, it's, I literally put my tax stuff right next to me, but anyway, so you're going to get it uh, from your brokerage account. Usually you get three different ones and they're your, they're your capital gains, your dividends, uh, and then your interest for the year. Um, <laughs> just as an FYI, uh, depending on what kind of securities you're, you own, um, we do recommend maybe not filing too early uh, with regard. <laughs> There's a good reason for that, right? Yeah. Explain it. <laughs> yeah. So your 10, you know, the, the reason, you know, if you, again, and if you don't have a brokerage account, you'll have to forgive us here. But um, if you own securities that are, you know, that are sort of quote unquote high risk as far as uh, being corrected, then you're probably getting your 1099s later, maybe, you know, maybe in early to mid February, as opposed to, you know, kind of late January with most of your other tax documents. You know, the, the reason is because, um, the brokerage houses who are the ones who send the 1099s don't like to send them out before they are all correct, right? If you own investments that are, that's, it's difficult to do the accounting on, right? So if you, if, you know, specifically, you know, a lot of international investments or, or relatively complex, complex investment structures, um, it's hard for the companies that are doing the, the accounting on those to get everything done and correct. Um, you know, you know, in the case of an international fund, you know, the, the example is, well, if you're, if you're an emerging markets fund, then you're, you know, you're do you know, you may own uh, investment stocks in 50 different countries. Well, that's, that's a lot of different, uh, that's a lot of a different, a lot of different information to process. Yeah. To get and and there's, you. you know, might yeah. be different taxes for different places. And so it's a lot, it's a lot to process and they don't, you know, the, the brokerage houses don't like to send things out that are going to be corrected. So they, they're kind of waiting and they've been, and, and, you know, this has been more and more common the last bunch of years and you're probably used to it by now if you have one, but 
you know, it's more common that it's mid-February to get your 1099 now if you have anything complex. And the reason is because you, you know, you, they don't want to correct the document, right? If you, if you send, if you get your 1099 and you file right away, right? You, you know, the earliest date you could file was February 12th, I think. That was, you know, kind of the official tax kickoff of the year. Well, you could file right away, but if you get a corrected document, uh, on, on the 20th of February. And if, if it's corrected significantly, then you have to refile. So just a heads up to everybody. Don't, uh, I, I would say if you have bro a brokerage account, maybe don't be in a rush to file. Uh, I, you know, we, we generally tell our clients to maybe at least wait until March because yeah, by it still aggravates a few of them because they want to get it over with and just, I, 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 hey, I respect hard. that, but it's just a difficult situation <laughs> yeah. that we can't do anything about basically. So that's right. Uh, so yes, I would say that, you know, you probably do want to hold off on that. Um, let me, do you want to take a sidebar here to do, um, to do municipal bond interest versus taxable interest? Or is that, is that a good sidebar here right now? Uh, yeah, sure. Like, sure. Not, maybe, maybe we'll keep, maybe I'll, let me just run through the rest of the documents here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If, if you need to, I, I can fill that up or me, you know, and based on our discussions at the break there, I, I think we're going to continue a different edition of this show where I'm going to get into the specific investment decisions about choosing investment vehicles with tax considerations, kind okay. of like real life stuff beside the, the explanations of it. So, so yeah, I can get to it if you need it, but, uh, keep on going if you don't. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll circle back to that. Uh, okay. So the last tax document that you're going to get, well, not, no, I'm sorry, not, not the last one, but we'll, the next one uh, is form 5498. Uh, so form 5498 reports incoming money to IRA accounts. And, and, you know, just to be clear, so this does not come until after tax time uh, in, you, know, you generally get it in May. And the reason is because you have up until April 15th of the, of the following year to make a contribution, uh, a prior year contribution to an IRA account. Right. And so, you know, for those of you who do Roth IRAs or who do traditional IRAs, you want to make sure that you reflect those, even though you won't get a tax document. Right. You know, so if you have a 401k, you get your W-2 and your 401k contributions are reported along with your salary. It doesn't work that way if you're in the IRA world. Um, and again, so you got to remember is what you're saying. They have to, yeah, that's what, yes. You got to remember to Was put I it down. Around that? Yes, you have to remember <laughs> that you made an IRA contribution because you will have no documentation until May. And again, it's just a function of, you know, if, if you can make a contribution up until April 15th, then, you know, then, then whoever is taking the contributions can't send a document until after after April 15th. So if you, if you do an IRA contribution, make a note of it uh, because you won't get your form uh, 5498 until, uh, until May. Okay. Uh, one, you know, kind of uh, just one brief discussion. So for 2020, we had that, we had the, uh, the cancellation of RMDs. I think they, I think they canceled them in March or April. I forget what the exact date was, but, uh, so required minimum distributions were canceled for 2020, but they didn't do it until, uh, you know, until about a quarter of the way through the year. And after the fact, they said, well, okay, if you want to put your requirement of distribution back, you can. Okay. And so there, there, you know, for those of you who did that, or if you know someone who did that, you know, just, just a heads up, the, the way this is going to work is that you're going to get a tax document, your 1099R before tax time. And it's going to say you took a distribution of $10,000 and it's going to be recorded as a $10,000 tax as a $10,000 distribution. If that was what you took out for your RMD, let's say in February. Well, if you put, if, if after those distributions were forgiven in April, you decided that you were going to put it back, you know, the, the brokerage houses are not, not sending out a 1099 this year. They're still going to send out a 1099 that says you took out $10,000. Oh, swell. You will get notification that you put the money back, but you don't get that, you know, you don't get that, that until you get form 5498 in May, right? And so, so for those of you who put the, uh, your required minimum distribution back or, you know, and it's, it's relatively, you don't see a lot of people doing, you know, uh, sort of what's called a 60 day rollover where they take money out and then put it back into a, into an IRA. You can do that, but 
anytime you do that, just be careful. And especially this year, because so, you know, we, we had a bunch of clients who took their required distributions, uh, you know, early in the year, they, you know, they're, they're subsequently forgiven. And then we had a bunch of people put the money back, uh, but it can create a real tax issue. And if you don't catch it, right, you could, you could easily not catch it. You could, you could pay taxes on that required distribution. You know, your 5498 comes in May and you never do anything with it because you've already filed your taxes. So you just kind of throw it, you know, you throw it in your tax file. Uh, if you didn't look closely, you would, you know, you might see that, you know, this money came back into your account and you can pay taxes uh, without, uh, without needing to. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, just, by the way, before you leave that, just just uh, yep. just quickly, um, th this is just a guess, and I don't want anybody to do anything on this, but let me just kind of throw out a couple of things there. Um, yeah. if, if you're between 72 and 75, right now you have to take a required minimum distribution out of your retirement plans. Uh, there's some discussion in Washington. I have no clue. Okay, uh, if it's going to come to pass or not, uh, where, where they may actually uh, make uh, the new mandatory a first world 75 as opposed to 72. Really? And, and they, okay. they may, this is a may folks, don't go act on it, but yeah. they may, may do that. And that may happen this year. And so, so for folks who are taking lump sums out of your uh, 401ks once a year, if you don't need the money, I would tend to delay those till the end of the year to see if something happens. Cause you know, if you were 73 years old and you didn't need uh, most of the distribution or any of it from your, uh, from your 401k, you'd kick yourself if you took it in January and found out you didn't have to in April or May or June or July or whatever the numbers were. So if you're between 72 and 75 and you are taking a one-time lump sum, like on a yearly basis, if you can, you might want to wait a little bit this year. Cause if you didn't need to take it, you, you might have that ability. Uh, the, the other, uh, the other thing, and I, I, I don't know this either, but at least I read some talk. I, I hate, hate talking about what they're talking about in Washington is what they actually did, but you know, they, they, they excluded RMDs for 2020. I'm not sure if we're any better off in 2021 and, and there's a chance they may waive them for, you know, for everybody. Yeah. Well. Both of those are chances They don't go plan on it folks by any stretch, but you know, you might want to keep your nose to the ground and your ears uh, open about, you know, if that happens, because it might affect you and you might be able to save some tax dollars or money that you didn't need. You know, yeah. they, again, there are not lots of people listening to this who probably don't need most or all of the distribution, but there are some, we know some. Okay. And it's just, just something to keep your eyes on. That's all. Yeah. I would say that, you know, for, so for us, um, you know, there's kind of a, there's a subset of people who, who either don't need their required distribution or they're flexible on when they can, on when they would take it. Right. I mean, we'll, you know, most people have their time of year when they take it, either it's monthly or, or they take it at the beginning of the year or the end of the year when it's Christmas time, uh, you know, for those people who have flexibility and when uh, it might not be a bad idea this year to just not take it. Right. You know, I would, you know, if, if you usually take it in, uh, in February, but you don't really need it, it's just sort of a habit you're in, uh, you know, you may want to hold off until later in the year just to make double sure again, if they do make that change, it will more than likely again come with the yeah. If you want to put the if you want to put it back, you're welcome to. But then you're just you know then you're creating that you know potential tax document headache in in uh, in 2022 the same way that a bunch of people have it in 2021. Uh, all right, you know what? I skipped earlier in the show. I meant to uh, catch up on. Do you have anything else on on that nope, subject? Not nope. on that. Nope. Uh, early in the show, I meant to catch, uh, you know, when, when we talked about charitable giving, uh, I meant to, to cover qualitable, qualified charitable distributions. Uh, and so I'm going to spend, uh, you know, I think we all, we have what, five minutes left or so, give or Four take? Four minutes and 46 seconds. Oh, okay. Well, we, we might, we might time this pretty well. Um, so again, for, you know, just to circle back for those of you who, who do give to charity, um, and for those of you who, uh, who, who now have IRA accounts and have, and are now over 70 and a half, um, the, I think the, I think it's, I'm pretty safe to say the, 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 the quote unquote best way to give to charity at this point is if you can do it directly from an IRA, right? So, so you, you can give to charity uh, from an IRA and in doing so you beat any income taxes 
that will have been that you would have had to pay based on that distribution, right? So again, the rules are if you're over 70 and a half, uh, it's called a QCD or a qualified a qualified charitable distribution. Um, the limit is up to a hundred thousand dollars, so so you can you can give up to a hundred thousand dollars per year uh, directly to charity and you will not pay income taxes on that distribution. All right. So, you know, just as an example, um, you know, if you, if you, you know, have a large IRA account and uh, you know, you were giving to charity back in the old days when there was a, uh, when you were itemizing your tax deductions, well, now, if you want to do that directly from your IRA, it's probably the most, it's, it's, it's almost certainly the most effective way to do it, right? And all that you do is you, you know, you get a form from your brokerage account or, you, or your mutual fund company and you fill it out. And it says, you know, please take $30,000 from my IRA account and send it uh, directly to St. Jude's. And in doing so, you get money out of your retirement plan and you do not pay income taxes on it. And it's, uh, and, and you know, you, you really, you can't beat that. And it's, it's a, it's a good way to get around the fact that, you know, some charitable contributions are, you know, are no longer worth much given the fact that the standard deduction is so high. And if you just give, you know, cash from your bank account, there's a, there's a decent chance that you're not going to get any tax benefit to that. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, I think, let me see. Um, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Just to be clear. So the, the qualified charitable distribution, you, you know, if you're over 72, your qualified charitable distribution can be used to satisfy your required minimum distribution. So for those of you who are uh, 72 plus, maybe you don't need your required minimum distribution to live on and you are charitably inclined. It's you know it's a great way to do that. Um, to make those charitable contributions is directly from your IRA. Again, you just need to make sure that the check is not payable to you, right? You can't take the money payable to you and then forward it on to the charity. It has to be filled out. Uh, you know you have to you have to do the paperwork. It has to go directly to a 501c3 uh, charity. And, uh, and if, and if you do that, then you get to beat the taxes. Okay. Okay. Two minutes left. Oh man. Nice. I wrapped up two minutes early. Oh, I, I can do some, I, I've got some <laughs> comments if you don't, but yeah, go ahead. please do. Yeah. I think, oh, let me just, yeah. I, so I'm pretty sure again. And again, that's the, that, at this point, if, if you fit that, and again, it's a very specific age demographic where you have to be over 70 and a half in order to do that. Uh, but if you're if you are charitably inclined and 70 and a half plus um you know talk to your advisor or 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 whoever handles your assets about doing that because it's it's pretty simple and it's you know anything that comes out of an ira is fully taxable so if you're in the 22 percent tax bracket you go from you know you go from 22 to zero uh on that distribution all right i'll stop there if you have any comments all right. Uh, let's see. Comment number one. Congratulations if you're in a high tax bracket. Don't be ashamed. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't minimize them when you can. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, but okay. So, so number two, the degree that which you can minimize taxes and uh, all those wonderful loopholes we used to dream about or we thought we had a bunch of years ago, most of them gone away. There's, there's yeah. honestly, from a tax savings point of view, there's not an awful lot, an awful lot of people can do anymore because they pretty much caught up with it and made it simplified somewhat for, for most people. So that's just kind of the yeah. way it is. Okay. Remember the old, I mean, remember the old days when I, you know, I came into this business and, and we were sort of, this was post, like you had all the, there were all these investments that were designed to take care of all those high tax yeah. rates, right? You had oh, limited yeah. partnerships, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, annuities all over the place because of all the old, all the old loopholes, but they're now, they're now all gone. Not all of them, but you know, okay. they're, only, they're only subject to major corporations now. Those are the ones who get paid. Ah, there's the duck. By the way, the only comment I have to finish up is it sounds very strange to hear my son talking about the old days. I just wanted to. <laughs> I know, I know. Tell me about it. Yeah, well, our kids are now, you know, all of our, I, I walk by our kids now and like, I mean, they were all given computers for school. Right. Yeah. So like all three of them were just handed a laptop. And so now I, I walk around and I can like, <laughs> buy one kid on a laptop and then another kid on a laptop. And it's, yeah, the, uh, I know the, I am old. I guess we're all getting older. Anyways, Time to go. let's wrap it up. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.